Amen. It is so good to see you all again. I missed you guys last week. I was gone learning how to do my job better. So thank the Lord for training. It was good. But I hear Pastor Casey did an incredible job talking us through finding friendship. Can we give Pastor Casey a round of applause again? She's awesome. If you haven't met her yet, that will be the highlight of your night getting to meet her. So make sure to find her. She's the little bit shorter, blonde, fiery one. You'll get it if you see her. Anyways, for those of you that I haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and I am the director here of Chi Alpha. If this is your first time, thank you so much for joining us. Our prayer for you is that when you're here at Chi Alpha, you'll be able to feel like you're at home, like you don't have to put on a mask or perform, but you can just be who God created you to be and grow as Jesus followers. Tonight, we're going to be continuing our sermon series entitled Becoming. This idea, as you saw in the video, has a double meaning. The word becoming, one definition is something beautiful or attractive, but a different definition is the process or what we are being formed into. So if you combine these ideas, it is Jesus is forming us into something beautiful. And we've developed these six different elements that Jesus uses to form us, to help us become the person he's created us to be. Think of it like six paintbrushes that all come together to paint a beautiful picture of our life with God. We've been going through those the last few weeks, and tonight we're going to continue with the fourth one, find freedom. Find freedom. And tonight we'll be reading out of Matthew chapter 4. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open that up to Matthew 4. And right before Jesus starts his career, Jesus had a job. He was a traveling religious teacher. I don't think he got paid for it, except, except with like 5,000 pieces of bread and fish and stuff. But anyways, so he was a traveling religious teacher. And before he starts this career, he goes to a guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist baptizes him. It kind of goes with the name. And in the moment when Jesus is baptized in water, identity is spoken over him. God says that Jesus is the beloved son of God. And then almost immediately after he's baptized and has this identity spoken over him, he is taken into a wilderness to be tempted. I think there's something there. So Jesus has identity spoken over him. He has confidence in who God has created him to be. He feels closest to God, and immediately in that moment, he is tempted by the devil. The devil starts attacking him right at like his peak of his life with God. Maybe, just maybe, that happens with us. So maybe you went to fall retreat a couple weeks ago. And at fall retreat, you had identity spoken over you. You accepted this idea of who God has created you to be. And you decided to jump all in with Jesus. But the last couple weeks haven't gone quite according to plan. Maybe, just maybe, as you had this spiritual high a couple weeks ago, the enemy saw that. And in order to derail you, he started attacking you and tempting you and trying to get you off course. See, when we're at our highest high spiritually, it's when we get most attacked by the enemy. Resist that. Recognize what it is, that it's lies. Don't let what God did at your heart at fall retreat if you're there. Stay there. Let's take that with us. Anyways, back to our story. So Jesus goes out to this wilderness, and then he goes like 10 rounds with the devil. He's fasting or, retain, or he's not eating food for 40 days in order to connect with God. And then as Jesus is doing this, he hears like a whisper. Hey, Jesus, aren't you hungry? Hey, Jesus, do you want to be seen? Hey, Jesus, do you want power? Hey, Jesus, do you really trust God? Hey, Jesus, are you sure that God is good? Are you sure he's for you? Let's read about it. Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11 says this. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but to every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil, this is the second, verse, second tempt, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put your Lord your God to the test. Third temptation, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he says to him, and these I will give to you if you will just fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God, and only him you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I'm going to give you our main idea at the very beginning of the talk tonight. The main idea, the whole thing that this is about, is we find freedom when we choose truth over lies. If you learn anything, I pray it is this, that we can find freedom when we choose truth over lies. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship and to be in your presence, Jesus. I pray freedom upon freedom over our group. We love you, Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, have you guys ever felt like trapped? Have you ever felt like there was no way out, like you're just enchained in a situation? I remember when I was in the seventh grade, there's this girl named Haley. Haley was in all my classes, and as a seventh grader, I thought, you know, getting a girlfriend that could be kind of fun. That might be a good idea. Had I talked to Haley? Of course not. I didn't know her very well. We didn't talk much. I'm like, she's there. She's a person. She's breathing. What the heck? Let's go for it. Let's see what happens. So I get her number. We start texting. And eventually we start dating. Like, we, we never went on a date, obviously. Where would we go? We can't drive or anything like that. But you know, you know this, middle school. She became a boo thing, right? She was like, that's my number one. That's my girl. So we keep texting each other, talking more and more on text, until eventually, you know all these middle school relationships, if you ever in one, they, they reach a peak, right? We're like, that's the best it's going to get. It's usually about three days after the relationship starts. So I hit the peak, and then it just starts going downhill. We're texting a little bit less. It's not working as much. I lose a little bit of interest. And then I think, you know, I think I'm ready to go on to the next girl, the next lucky lady to date seventh grade Derek. But see, there was a problem in my philosophy See, we had started dating over text, and we never moved on to, like, talking in person. It was solely texting. We saw each other multiple times a day in class, but we never had a conversation. And I'll be real. It kind of felt like a jerk move to break up with a girl over text. I'm like, I shouldn't do that. I know listening to these stories, like, wow, Derek was a bad boy, right? He was hard. I wasn't that hard, though. I didn't know what it looked or what it would take to break up with a girl over text. I didn't have it in me. So I felt trapped. I was stuck. I was not interested in this girl anymore. We barely texted. We never talked in person, but she was my girlfriend. I was enchained to her, like the ball and chain of seventh grade. I needed to find freedom. In case you're curious, the way I eventually ended that relationship, this is, I'm confessing some sin right now. So all I did is I went on Facebook and I changed my relationship status from in a relationship to single and then never brought it up ever again. I went to high school with this girl. Like I had a bunch of classes where we just acted like it never happened. Just never brought it up again. So technically, I think I'm still dating this girl. Sorry, honey and boys. I guess I'm still dating her. Lord, help us all. See, we live in this world 
where sometimes we feel tied down. We feel enchained by things. Maybe for you growing up, it wasn't your seventh grade. God, I hope it wasn't your seventh grade relationship. Don't date when you're, anyways, that's not tonight. We'll talk about that later. Maybe it wasn't relationships. Maybe you feel trapped by, I don't know, like your parents. Maybe you feel like they never let you experience the world. Maybe you had like the really like helicopter parents who you took like one step out of line. They're like, how dare you? You're a disappointment. And you're like, oh my gosh, I will never disappoint you again. Maybe that was you. Maybe you feel trapped by just getting your parents' approval. Maybe it's not your parents. Maybe you feel trapped by your major. Maybe you're like going into your second semester of your senior year and you don't like your major at all. But you're like, I'm this far in. I can't go anywhere else. If I change it now, there's money down the drain. So you feel trapped by that. Maybe you feel trapped by your living situation. Maybe your roommates all smell a little funny and you don't know what to do next. Maybe you feel trapped by your friend group. These basic things can trap us, but let's even go deeper. Maybe you feel trapped by, I don't like a sin. Maybe you feel enchained by some addiction in your life. Maybe if you're honest, you're addicted to something like pornography, drinking, even like video games, binging Netflix. Maybe you feel enchained to sexual sin with your boyfriend or girlfriend, like I just have to do that or else our relationship won't work. Maybe you're enchained by an anger problem, by bitterness, pride. I don't know about you, but I think there's something that traps us, right? Maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's more of an, a mental entrapment. Maybe you feel trapped by this deep desire to please everyone, to avoid conflict at all costs, to live up to the expectations, to get perfect grades, to be the perfect person. Maybe you feel trapped by your anxieties, your worries, your fears. I think all of us have something that kind of holds us down. It kind of nags at us. It just won't go away. And even though we live in what is seemingly the most free society in all of human history, where we have information at our fingertips, we can go across the world in a couple hours. Through technology, we can become anybody and do whatever we want. Even in this world, we often become enslaved to the things of this world. So amidst all of this, we're kind of on a quest to find freedom. And if we go back to our story we read tonight, the devil, what he was doing is he was trying to trap Jesus. Since the very beginning of time, this is what the devil's whole game has been, trying to trap humanity. And he only really has one tool to do that. The devil uses deception or lies to trap people. If we go back to the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, the devil lies to the first woman, Eve, and that lie leads her to become enslaved, and it leads to all of humanity to be enslaved by sin. Genesis 3, chapter 1, this is the first book of the Bible, says this. Now the serpent, and that's the devil, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually say? Did he actually say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say? The devil is sowing deception into Eve. He's trying to get her to doubt. Is God who he says he is? If you continue on to verse four, the serpent says to the woman, don't worry, you will not surely die. In case you're curious, that was a straight lie. She eats the fruit, and then she dies later. It's a straight up lie. Since the beginning of time, the devil has been sowing deception and lies into our brain that pull us away from God and enslave us. Reality is, is we are enslaved by lies. All of us are enslaved by some lie. Lies take away our freedom because when we start to believe things that aren't true, they actually can have power over us and take control of our reality and distort it to get us to see the world falsely. 
And if you're a Jesus follower, you're on a mission to find freedom from these lies around you and to live into the truth of Jesus. John chapter eight tells us that Jesus is the truth and the truth will set you free. If you are a Jesus follower, you are called to live a life of freedom, but we're surrounded by a world of enchainment. And our story that we read tonight of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness actually walks us through the different lies that the devil can use against us. And then it tells us how Jesus combats these lies. So we're actually going to start by dissecting the end of our story, and I'm going to kind of work backwards. So the last thing that the devil tempts Jesus with is he says, Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you everything you think you could ever want. I will make your life amazing. All you got to do is worship me. He's playing the same trick he played on Eve. See, the devil's telling Jesus, God doesn't know what's best for you. Actually, if you just listen to me, then you'll have the good life. He's trying to get Jesus to believe our first lie tonight, the lie that God is either not all-loving or all-knowing. Either God does not want what is best for you or God does not know, know what is best for you. And we believe this lie all the time. Every time we disobey God, we are living into this lie. I want you to think about this logically. I'm trying to teach through this. Think very logically. If we truly believed that God was all loving, which means he loves us, cares about us, wants what's best for us. If we truly believed that, and at the same time believed that God is all knowing, meaning he's smarter than us, he knows what's best, he's the smartest being in the universe, so he cares more about me than I could ever care about me, and he knows more about me than I could ever know about me. If he's all knowing and all loving, as the Bible clearly teaches, then when he tells us to do something, it is what's best for us because he loves me and he knows what's best for me. So the commandments of Jesus have to be the best way if we truly will believe that God is all-knowing and all-loving. And if we believe that, if we thought that God had my best interest at heart, disobeying him would be illogical. If you think about it this practically, it's kind of dumb to not listen to God if you truly think he's God. However, saying that, we, myself very much included, often believe a lie that God is like holding out on us. See, the devil, he can't make you do anything. We have to choose it. So this lie is to try to get us to choose to go against the teachings of Jesus and believe that Jesus' way is not the best way. Our society and the world around us has tried to get us to believe that ways contrary to the way of Jesus is what's best for us. When if you think Jesus is God, that does not make any practical sense. But then we believe this lie that God's holding out on us or trying to steal our fun. The devil needs to get us to believe that following the path of evil will lead us to happiness. And the way he does this is through temptation. He whispers in our ears, are you sure Jesus knows best? For example, if you follow Jesus, you know that God is clear that we're not to have sexual activity before marriage. But the devil says, well, what does he know? Jesus is just trying to steal your fun. He's not after your happiness. He just wants you to follow all his rules. But those are lies. It's not logical. Why would God give a rip if we followed his rules? He doesn't need us to float his ego. No, God tells us the way to live because he cares about us and knows that his way is the best way. He doesn't gain anything when we obey him. We gain things. The devil's aim is to get us to doubt the goodness or the intelligence of God. And we need to counter this lie with truth. The truth 
is that true freedom comes from realizing that God is all-loving and all-knowing, so he knows what's best for me. God is all-knowing, God is all-loving, and God knows best. That is how we find freedom. A saying that we have around here is that God's laws are not motivation for obedience, but descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. That's really heady. I'm going to explain it. God's laws are not motivation for obedience. What that means is we don't obey God because we feel like it's the good thing to do. Like, yeah, I probably should obey God. That's not why we obey God. No, God's laws or the commandments of God, the teachings of Jesus, are actually just descriptions of reality from a better perspective, meaning he's just telling us how the world actually works because he's smarter than us. We obey Jesus not out of moral obligation. We do it because we think that God is smarter than us, and we will find freedom when we recognize that God knows best. A few years ago, I was at my grandmother's 90th birthday party, and I look in the corner of the room, and I see my three-year-old nephew getting ready to walk into the woman's bathroom. So as a good uncle, I walk up to him like, hey, buddy, that's the ladies' room. Let's take you down here and go to the boys' room. And I'm kind of awkward around kids, specifically before I had kids. So I was a little nervous anyways to tell him what to do. I'm like, I want to try this because I'm going to be loving. So I tell him, hey, buddy, that's the girls' bathroom. And then he looks up to me with this mean mug on his face. He's got a mean mug. He's kind of scary. He looks at me. He's like, no, it's not. This is the boys' room. And then we proceed to argue for like six hours. Just kidding, not six hours. But we do argue. He's like, no, this is the boys' bathroom. I'm like, buddy, no, it's not. See, here's the problem. Boy can't read. He's three years old. He can't read. He had no idea. He was literally so short, he couldn't see up to the sign. It's like here. He's like, I, if he could read, he wouldn't be able to read because he's tiny. He can't see the sign. It was too high. I had the better perspective. I could see the sign. I am smarter than my three-year-old nephew. God, I hope so. And out of love, I didn't want him to embarrass himself and walk to the woman's room. But he didn't believe me. He thought for some reason that he was smarter than I, even though he was three years old. Or he thought that I was trying to play some sick game on him and get him to walk into the wrong bathroom as a jerk uncle because I don't love him. That doesn't make sense. Even though it's clear, right, that the adult knows better, he thought he knew better. And I didn't want him to listen to me so I could get a power trip. No, I want him to listen to me because I understood reality. This is us with God. We look up at God with all the perspective in the world, much smarter than us, and we say, God, you don't know best. I know this is the best way. But we're three years old and can't read. He's the God of the infinite universe, but somehow we know better than him. Going back to our story of Jesus, his temptations, we talk about the third one. We're going to actually skip to the first temptation now. So the first thing that the devil tempts Jesus with is through what we're going to call the flesh. So Jesus, to give you the backstory, remember, he was fasting or not eating for 40 days, so he was really hungry. His flesh was crying out for food. So the devil comes and tells him, hey, break your fast. Turn that stone into bread. You don't need to keep seeking after God. You've done enough. Turn that into bread and eat. Do whatever you want. He's like, hey, go against what God says. Just do what feels good. Do we listen to that lie? At least I know I listen to the devil sometimes. Like, yeah, this feels good. I'm going to do that. That makes more sense. We often believe this lie that true freedom comes from doing whatever feels good. We believe this lie that like our flesh or like our belly is in charge. 
When I say the flesh, I'm just referring to our primal, animalistic desires. Things like sex, food, pleasure, having a bunch of stuff, doing what feels good in the moment. That's the flesh. We often believe this lie that we're only free when we do whatever feels right in every single moment. Like, I don't have to listen to anyone. You do you and I'll do me. Then we'll all be free. Just follow your heart. Author and pastor John Mark Comer says in his book, Live No Lies, we just assume that the way to a happy, flourishing life is to follow our hearts, which we often misunderstand to be any authentic desire. What he's getting at here is just because we have a strong desire for something doesn't mean it's what's best for us right now. Strong desires are the things that feel good in the moment, things that like scream at us in, in our inside. It's like, you need this right now. Things like, I really want to go out and party so I don't feel alone on this Friday night. I really want to smoke marijuana so I can fit in or numb the pain. This deep desire to have sex, this deep desire, I want to watch TikTok instead of reading my Bible. These things that feel so strong and feel like we just need to give in to them. But the key to freedom is realizing that our strong desires don't always or usually fulfill our deepest desires. So we have to look at our strong desires versus our deep desires. Deep desires are the things that we deep down really want to be true of us. Our deep desires are the things that are like in our bones we want for our lives. Here's an example. Raise your hand if you've been to Four Queens. Oh, too few. If any hands down, we'll fix that later. Four Queens is the closest thing to heaven on earth. It is an ice cream place here in Cedar Falls. I love ice cream. I love it so much. Cookie dough snowstorm with chocolate ice cream. Come on, the Lord will come back. So I have this really, really strong desire to have Four Queens every single day. And that's not an exaggeration. About once a day, I t- I'm thinking, I could go to Four Queens tonight, and I'd be happy. But see, as I have this strong desire, I also have a deep desire. I really don't want to be obese and like have diabetes. I don't want that. So I have this strong desire, cookie dough snowstorm, cookie dough snowstorm, a deep desire, don't be huge, don't be huge. So I have to go back and forth. So I need to say no to my strong desire to get my deep desire, which is to be relatively healthy. So we just go to Four Queens once a week, way better for us, right? Lord, forgive us all. Don't judge me, okay? You have your sinful habits too. So maybe for you, you deeply, deeply desire to be a dedicated Jesus follower. Like you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. That means you're gonna have to learn to resist some of those strong desires. Strong desires, like the desire to sleep in and not spend time with Jesus. If you wanna be a dedicated follower of Jesus, you have to be a disciplined person. You have to resist the strong desire to sleep in. You have to resist the strong desire to sin, to do sexual things, the strong desire to get angry at times. I have that strong desire to get really ticked off. My favorite football team is the Washington Commanders, and they're horrible. Every Sunday, I get really angry, and I have to say, no, I'm a child of God, deep desires. Again, I don't usually listen, but I try, okay? We have to say no to these strong desires to get our deep desire to be the person God has created us to be. John Mark Homer goes on in his book to say, our deepest desires, usually to become people of goodness and love, are often sabotaged by the stronger surface-level desires of our flesh. Giving in to the desires of our flesh does not lead us to freedom in life, as many people would assume, but instead to slavery, and in the worst-case scenario, addiction, which is a kind of prolonged suicide by pleasure. So see, I'm sharing this with you not for condemnation, to make you feel bad about yourself, like, ah, I really stunk. 
No, I share this with you to, to say, if you want to get your deepest desires, which I believe that most people have really good, deep desires, but we're just not very good at saying no to our strong desires. So it's not a spirit of condemnation or shame to get you to feel bad about yourself. It's to get you to realize that these desires are strong, right? The reason they're strong is because usually those things are really fun in the moment. Four Queens is really fun in the moment, I promise. Other things that let your mind wander in the moment, they're pretty fun, but they don't help us become who God created us to be. So we have to learn what do we really want. And if you really want to be a dedicated follower of Jesus, it will require you to say no. Because true freedom is found in the ability to choose deep desires over strong desires. That's when you're free. Because you're not in chains to those strong desires. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. You have the freedom to choose to become the person that God wants you to be. That's freedom. If we want true freedom... True freedom is not the ability to say yes to everything. True freedom is not being able to have whatever. No, true freedom is being able to say yes to the right things. Losing some freedoms to gain the right ones. Saying yes to our deep desires. An example of this is marriage. So marriage is you saying yes to one person and agreeing to be tied to one person. And in our culture, that can seem enslaving. One person, a good old ball and chain, Marriage can seem like a place where you lose freedom. So many jokes, right? Well, let me be honest with you. When I saw my wife Taylor walking down the aisle, the last thing I was thinking is, wow, this sucks. I'm losing my freedoms. I'm like, ah, oh, this, this, I'm tied down now. Better run. No, that's not what I was thinking. When I got married to Taylor, I've never felt more free. Was I losing some freedoms? Yes, I do not have the freedom to play Madden all day, every day. That's a football video game. I don't have the freedom to come and go as I please without telling anyone. I don't have the freedom to pursue any girl I want. They won't pursue me back, but I don't have the freedom anyways. Those freedoms are gone. But in our relationship, I have found more freedom in general than I could ever imagine. See, as a single person, at least for me, I felt tied to this burden. I gotta find a spouse. I gotta find a spouse. That was not freeing. I no longer have to worry about that. I no longer have to worry about impressing every girl I meet, or at least trying to, and failing, but trying to impress. I don't have to worry about, like, look at my top of the line when I go to high V. I can wear my Crocs in my baggy pants and be okay with it. It's going to be fine. I don't have to worry about those things. If you want to go even deeper, often as a single person, you feel you have this enslavement to rampant sexual desire, right? When you get married, you lose the freedom to sleep with whoever you want, but you gain the freedom to express sexual desire in the right context, you have to say no to some freedoms to get the good freedoms. So marriage, although it looks enslaving, is anything but. That's led to real freedom because I'm doing things the right way. What I'm getting at here is we are all tied to something. No one is truly free to do whatever the heck they want. That's, if you say yes to one thing, you have to say no to something else. It's just how logic works. True freedom is choosing the right things to hit your wagon to. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? You're either a slave of sin, which is going to lead you to death, or you're a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So the question is not how can I be like, free from one or the other or free from both. The question is do you want to be a slave of sin and death or of obedience and righteousness? Jesus goes on to teach us in John 8. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So what Jesus is, not, is doing here is he's not trying to make people feel bad about themselves. I think we have this wrong context. This word sin's like a dirty word. Like, oh, I feel bad about myself. That's not Jesus' goal at all. He just wants you to find freedom. He's not like, how dare you do that sin? No, what he's saying is like, there's something so much better for you. 
I wanted you to be feel free, not enslaved. Jesus isn't mad at us when he sins, but he just is sitting there thinking, there's something so much better. I want you to think about addictions. We are all free to do and try whatever we want, right? For example, you are free to watch anything you want on the internet. You're free to watch porn. But once you start watching that, it starts to enslave you. It goes from being something you want to do to something you feel like you have to do. Ask anyone who's ever tried to overcome this addiction or any other addiction, really. It's challenging. It's really hard. It's because when we do things repeatedly, like watch pornography, it creates neural pathways in our brain that tie doing that habit to some kind of chemical release. So then we feel like we need to do it because it becomes more and more addicting. We become enslaved to sin. This is not just a teaching of the Bible. This is a teaching of science. Our brain, things enslave us. And we thought we had the freedom to do whatever we want, but in actuality, in this freedom to do whatever we want, we are choosing to be enslaved to something. The same is true for Netflix binging, video games, drugs and alcohol, sexual activity, sickness and other, even things like people pleasing become addicting where you keep getting this release where you just have to do it. True freedom is not found in doing whatever feels good. No, the truth is that true freedom comes from being able to do what is good. Not what feels good, but what is good. And that's obeying Jesus because he's all loving and all knowing and knows what's best for us. In John chapter eight, Jesus also says, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. This is the key to the good life is the truth in having freedom. It also says in 1 John 2, 4 through 6, whoever says, I know him as in I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth, the truth's not in him and the truth leads to freedom, so freedom's not in them. But whoever keeps the word of Jesus, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in Jesus also ought to walk in the same ways in which he walked. All this to say true freedom comes from submitting to the way of Jesus because then we abide in the author of truth and freedom. The devil has one more lie, he tells Jesus, and this is the last temptation. So after the, after the devil tempts Jesus to turn the stone into bread to satisfy craving, he takes Jesus. He actually takes him to the, like the middle of the city on a temple. He puts him on top of this temple in front of everyone, and he says, Jesus, throw yourself down from this big building and command the angels to protect you. Why is he doing that? He's tempting Jesus to create a spectacle. He's tempting Jesus to get everyone to look at him, to see him, to be in awe of him, to think he is somebody. Look at him flying on angel wings. Come on. He's tempting Jesus to impress the world. When I say the world, I don't mean like the planet. I mean the people around you, society. The devil wants Jesus to start caring about what people think about him and to start trying to impress them. This comes from this, this lie the lie is that the world is watching me. So I want you to imagine that you're walking around campus. It's a little early in the morning. You're running real late for class. So you didn't have time to wear anything other than the only clean thing you have, which is semi-clean, gross-looking sweatpants. That's all you got, so that's what goes on. Your hair looks a little funny. You didn't get to do it in the morning, so it's a little messed up. You didn't get to brush your teeth. You smell a little funky. It's not your best day. You don't look 10 out of 10 today. It's okay, but that's how you look. So that's you today. And you're walking around campus. And what we're probably thinking is everyone's looking at me. We're worried. Everyone's staring at me or smelling me. 
Everyone's thinking how bad I look. Everyone is watching me. They see me, right? Be honest. Have you ever walked around campus, your high school, your job, thinking these things? Like, uh, people are looking at me. Uh-oh, why are they all thinking about me? If we're honest, I think that's most of us. Like, we're always thinking people are kind of worried that other people are thinking about us, judging us, critiquing us, thinking about us, really. And I want us to think about this critically. So if all of us are struggling with this and thinking that other people are thinking about us, we're all struggling with this, okay? You're not alone. If we're all thinking this, then we're all thinking about ourselves, and so we don't have the mental space to think about other people. We're all focused on what people think of me, so I'm not thinking about other people, which then means people aren't thinking about you, because we're all (laughs) self-absorbed. In our world, where anyone can take an embarrassing picture or video of you in a moment, we start to believe this lie that everyone's watching me. Like, oh my gosh, there's a picture coming. The irony is, though, we're all so inward focused on ourselves that we're not thinking about other people at all. So I want to do an experiment. Raise your hand if you were at fall retreat. Keep your hand up if you saw the fall retreat group picture we took on social media. Okay, that's a good group of people. You can put your hands down. I don't want to embarrass you with this next question. I want you to think internally, okay? So what's the first thing you did when you saw that picture? I asked multiple people this question this week, and the answer is every time, the same every time. I said, oh, what's the first thing you did when you saw that picture? Like, uh, I don't know. I think I zoomed in, and I said, what'd you zoom in on? Uh, I don't really know. And I said, well, just throwing something out there. Did you maybe zoom in to find yourself? And everyone's like, yeah, I did. I went to look at myself. Huh. When we take a group picture, what we do, at least I do this, is our first reaction is zoom in on ourselves and see, do I look good? Do I look all right? And then we're horrified if we don't look good. Like, everyone's gonna look at me. Everyone's gonna think I look terrible. This picture stinks. Take it down. But everyone's too zoomed in on themselves to see you looking funny in the picture. We believe this lie that we've got to impress the world. We need to avoid looking dumb. We have to appear a certain way. Everyone's thinking about me. I don't want to embarrass myself when reality is no one cares. We are so scared of disappointing people, of not measuring up, of appearing less than. We think the world is watching us with a measuring stick when reality is we are all so inward focused on our own shortcomings that no one's paying attention to yours. We don't need to impress a watching world because nobody's watching. The truth is true freedom comes from recognizing the world doesn't care. The world doesn't care. That sounds harsh, right? Like they don't care about me. I don't mean they don't love you. They love you. They're not worried about your shortcomings. It sounds harsh, but it's actually quite a liberating idea. We are free. No one is watching, so we don't have to worry about embarrassing ourselves. We are free to be and do what God created us to do. We don't have to worry about embarrassing ourselves because everyone is so focused on not getting embarrassed that they don't care if you embarrass yourself. That's awesome. We don't have to worry anymore. No reason to stress out. We are free. We are free to worship God freely without a care in the world. You can raise your hands and worship and get a little crazy. Nobody's watching you. It's not embarrassing to worship God. You can be honest about your failures, your struggles, because guess what? Everyone has got them and everyone's focused on their own issues. So you can be honest about where you're at. No one's gonna judge you. We can stop overthinking every word we say or conversation we have, everything we wear, every action we can take. We can stop this mental handicapping thing that happens. We're all so stressed all the time and we can rest because we're all in this life together. The world is not watching your every move. You don't have to appear a certain way to people. People are probably not talking about you behind your back because most of us are too worried about ourselves to watch others. So instead 
of worrying about impressing a watching world who's not actually watching and doesn't care. Maybe, just maybe, we should live to impress a God who actually does care. God cares about your life. God is deeply invested in what happens to you. He wants what's best for you. True freedom is found in recognizing that we don't need to worry about impressing people. We should just worry about impressing and pleasing God. That should be our focus because as we please God, we're living life the way we were designed to live because he's all-knowing and he's all-loving. He knows what's best for us. He designed us. So we don't have to have fear or worry. The beauty of God, it says in 1 John chapter 4, that perfect love casts out fear, the perfect love of Jesus. We don't have to be so scared or so worried or so anxious because all we need to worry about is impressing a God who loves us and does not want us to live a life of fear. So we can just focus on becoming who God created us to be and not worry about what the world wants us to be. The reason the devil throws these lies at us is because he knows if he can distort our reality and get control of our thought life, he can hinder us from becoming who God created us to be. You become what you think about. So the devil can get you to think certain things. He can get you to become a certain person. Because when we start to believe lies, we start to see the world less clearly. Reality becomes fuzzy. We think things help us when they actually hurt us. We make up stories about other people that aren't true. We start to believe things like people are against me, I'm the outsider, I don't fit in, I can't do this. The devil tries to isolate us. And this distorts our realities. We start to believe even more lies in just this endless cycle. There's actually a thing we created called the deception cycle. I don't have time to teach through it tonight. But what I encourage you to do is to take the discipleship training class because we do teach it in that. That alone is worth the price of admission, which is free. So of course it is worth it. I do think that there's some people in here tonight that maybe you've wrestled with this lie that you don't belong here, that you don't belong in Christian community, you're too messed up, there's too many things wrong with you, and that is a lie from the enemy trying to get you to be isolated. You are deeply loved, you belong here, no matter your background. This is not a room where you'll be judged. God loves you, and we love you. All right, this is great. We're all here to find freedom. How do we practically do this now? Well, first step is we have to call out the lies. We have to recognize them for what they are and realize that there's things in our head that are not true. So how do we do that is we have to get truth infused in our brains. We have to call out the lies and realize that we probably don't know everything and maybe there's things we're believing that aren't from God. So how do we practically then go the next step? Well, the first step is to let the Bible speak truth to us. When the devil tempted Jesus, he responded each time with the words of the Bible, the book of truth. Jesus fought lies with the truth of Scripture. So if we want to fight lies and find freedom, we must have the Bible living in us. We need to spend every day, we need to have a little bit of time to reread the Bible so the truth can become deep into our bones. John Mark Comer says, you fight the devil's lies by simply choosing to not think about them. Great, how do I do that? But as we all know, you can't think about nothing. So you give your mind something else to think about. Scripture. You replace the devil's lies with God's truth. You become what you give your mind to. The number one way to find freedom and have the truth wash over us every morning as we read the Bible. Then we can replace the lies of the world with the truth of God. Second, we let people speak reality to us. Since lies distort our reality, we're often viewing our own worlds from the wrong perspective. This is why we need loving friends who love Jesus around us to point out blind spots. We're so heavily invested in our own lives that it's hard for us to like see things correctly. I want you to imagine like you're in like a corn maze. And when you're in the corn maze, you can't see your way out, right? You're too invested. You're too much in the weeds. 
When we have friends who speak truth to us, it's like they're in a little plane above us and they can see the whole maze. We're like, oh, you just gotta take three rights and you're out of here. What, would that work? One, two, three. Yeah, that'd work. Because they see things from a better perspective because they're not as invested. Sometimes we need people who can speak truth to our lives because they have a better view. We need people who love us, who love Jesus, who can call us out and speak against the things we're letting cloud our memory and our brain. But people can't do this if we don't let them in. We have to be ruthlessly honest about where we're at. We don't perform for people. We're honest with people about what we're thinking, what we're struggling with. We're honest about our sins and our thought patterns. We confess our sin to God for forgiveness, but then we also need to confess our sin to our community for freedom. If we want freedom from our sins, we've got to confess them. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Finding freedom on our own is really, really hard. The devil's lies are too good. We need people around us to hold us accountable, to check up on us, to speak reality over us. I highly encourage you, talk to your small group about the things you're struggling with. Your small group is a safe place where you can be honest with no fear of judgment. We're all just on this journey trying to find freedom. The Bible and community are the two practical things we can do to find freedom. Remember our main idea tonight. We find freedom when we choose truth over lies. We must choose truth over lies. Because when lies get into our brain, they just distort everything. So my question for us tonight is are you sick of feeling chained down? Are you sick of doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results? Are you sick of feeling enslaved? In this moment where we want to find freedom, the devil comes at us with just one more lie. He says that you will always be enslaved. We start to believe that we're destined to be like this forever, that I can't overcome my issue, I can't change, I can't conquer sin, I can't control my thought life. My thoughts control me, I can't control them. We think we're stuck, but that is simply a lie. You are not stuck. You are not stuck that way because when Jesus, the God of the universe, came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross, the most brutal death in history, and in this death, he defeated our sins. He defeated our negative thoughts. He defeated the power of the devil in a moment, and he defeated death once and for all. So I want you to imagine that you're in a prison cell, and the prison door is, is chained closed, but what that prison door is chained with and what's keeping you inside this prison cell is your sins, your thought life, these lies you believe. We're deep in it. We feel like there's no way out because we're in prison, right? We think, oh, I'm just stuck this way forever. However, when Jesus died on the cross, he busted open the door. He broke every chain off of your life. When Jesus paid the ultimate penalty, he made us so we are free to go. The door is open because Jesus is way more powerful than our screw-ups, our thought patterns. Jesus is bigger than every struggle we've ever had. He's defeated all of them. The truth is that Jesus has set you free. Jesus sets you free. Jesus gives us access to find freedom. The prison door is wide open. However, we're still sitting. And as we sit, the devil starts whispering to us because he doesn't want to give up yet. He's whispering in your ear, you can't escape. You can't change, you're stuck. You'll always have those thoughts. You'll never overcome that sin. You'll never be free of anxiety. You are doomed. 
speaking lies to us because he knows if we walk out the door, we're going to find life unimaginable with God. But he's got to lie to us because he doesn't have any power to hold you in. Jesus is way more powerful. He took the door and it swung open. His last fight is with lies. But the door is open. What we need to do is we need to stop believing lies and walk out of the prison cell and live a life of freedom. You can find freedom. You can overcome sin issues. You can take your thoughts captive. You can grow. You can become the person God has created you to be. You are a child of God. And as a child of God, you have access to find freedom. So if you're here tonight and you feel enslaved or trapped by something, there is hope and his name is Jesus. Jesus died to break those chains. You are not a slave. You are a son or daughter of the king. And as a son or daughter of the king, you've got a passage right out of the prison cell. Jesus wants you to find freedom. Because as you find freedom, you start this journey of becoming who he created you to be. If you all stand with me. So the first step in finding freedom is actually through bowing. In order to find freedom, you must bow to Jesus and let him be Lord of your life. If you're here tonight and you feel enslaved by a sin, Jesus wants to set you free. He's opened the prison door, but you do need to walk through. Jesus isn't gonna come drag you out of the prison cell and force you to follow him. He's opened the door and he has an open invitation, but you need to get up and come. You have to accept the payment of Jesus on the cross and give your life to him. And so I want to give you an opportunity to practically walk out the prison cell. So what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have everyone close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if you want to walk out of the prison cell and find freedom, I want you to raise your hand as a symbol of you walking out prison cell and you finding freedom as you give your life to Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to Jesus. And you are saying, I accept the payment of Jesus. You are the Lord of my life now. So if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus, on the count of three, raise your hand as a symbol of you walking out the prison cell. One, two, three. Thank you. Tons of hands going up. Tons of hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for conquering our worst mistakes, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving us even when we're in the middle of our deepest sin. Jesus, thank you for loving us no matter what we've done. God, thank you for grace upon grace. Amen, amen. If you're here tonight and you follow Jesus, but if you're honest, so you've walked out the prison cell, but you kind of snuck back in and something's enslaving you. There's something that's kind of holding you down. Jesus wants you to find freedom as well. So if that's you and you follow Jesus, but you do feel like there's something you need to find freedom from, will you just open your arms like this? Just as a symbol of you being open to what Jesus wants to do. And I'm gonna pray over us just as we can see that God loves us. I want you to believe this truth that you are not stuck. You are not stuck. Sin, anxiety, worries, people-pleasing, depression, family issues, these things have no power over you because you are a son or daughter of the king. Let me pray, Jesus, we love you. God, we pray that we can be a group of free people, Jesus, free people who accept your payment, God, and 
run in freedom to you, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen and amen. We come with a lot of different places, right? Like some of us here, talking about mental health, maybe it's a clinical thing. You take medicine and therapy. Those are great things. We fully believe in that. So there's that level of anxiety, which is a little bit deeper. But I think that a lot of us kind of struggle with more of like a surface level anxiety. It's not like a clinical thing, but it's still something that like gets into our brains, right? I know for me, that's something I have to wrestle with. It's not clinical, but I have to wrestle with anxieties. And I think sometimes with that, it can really have a stronghold over us. And Jesus wants to give you freedom. Again, I want to say we believe medicine, therapy, those are great things. But if it's, but we can still pray and find freedom from these things, right? You are not stuck. So what we're going to do is we're going to worship together, sing one more song. And our staff team is actually going to be in the back. And so if you have something that's been enslaving you, maybe a sin to confess, a thought pattern, a lie you're believing that you need truth spoken over you, I highly encourage you to go to the back and pray with one of our team members. They'd love to pray with you. There's no judgment at all. Because a great step to finding freedom is admitting you believe a lie, right? So we're going to have them staffed if you want to go back right now. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one more song. And again, they're back there, and we'd love to pray with you. Jesus, thank you. God, thank you for giving us freedom, that we are not destined to live life in chains, God, but that we have hope in you, Jesus, that we have hope in your name and the goodness of what you've done, God. I pray for Chi Alpha to be a place of freedom where we find joy in life with you, God, that we will know we are not destined to be stuck forever, but we have hope in you, King Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's worship together.